Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today we're going to talk about a controversial figure who's back in the news, Julian Assange. In 2019, the Australian-born founder of WikiLeaks was charged by federal prosecutors in the U.S. with 18 counts relating to the release of vast troves of classified U.S. military records and diplomatic cables. Assange was arrested in London, and he has now been held for three and a half years in a high-security British prison. He faces extradition to the U.S. and a potential lengthy sentence. But on Monday, the New York Times and four European news organizations called on the U.S. to drop its charges against Assange. The newspapers penned a joint letter that ended with the phrase, Publishing is not a crime. To talk about all this, my guest this week is Charlie Savage. He's a Washington correspondent for the New York Times and a winner of the Pulitzer Prize. He's been covering national security issues and the Assange story for a very long time. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. I'm a very big fan of your work going back many years, as you know. Can we start with something off the bat to clarify? So the paper for which you work and other news outlets sent this letter saying the Assange charges should be dropped. Am I correct that neither you nor anyone else in the news division had any role or say in the putting forward of that letter? That's correct. The publisher of the New York Times, A.G. Sulzberger, in consultation with the legal department, in particular, I believe, David McCraw, a newsroom lawyer, uh, a lawyer for the newsroom, but not part of the newsroom, decided that the Times institutionally would sign on to this letter along with the four European news outlets. But no one in the newsroom played any role in it. I did not, and all of my bosses leading up to the executive editor, Joe Kahn, did not. Is it a little odd to write about your own paper? It's very odd. It's very awkward. <laughs> Is it? It's not the first time I covered the leak investigation that involved my colleague and friend, Jim Risen. Right. Uh, for example, uh, it happens from time to time, and you just have to dissociate and just tell it straight. So before we get to the, the merits or the debate and controversy around the letter, can you remind folks what first, we'll go sort of backwards, what Julian Assange was charged with in 2019, and then we'll talk about what he did and we'll talk about this letter. So everything about the Julian Assange case is complicated. I've said that it's sort of barnacled with tangents, and every other sentence you write about him could be glossed with a footnote of explanatory uh, extras. There was a criminal complaint filed against him at the very end of 2017 under seal, and then he was actually indicted by a grand jury in the spring of 2018 on a narrow charge of violating a hacking-related offense for offering to help Chelsea Manning cover her tracks on a classified military network. That was unsealed in 2019 when he was pulled out of the Ecuadorian embassy and arrested. And sometime after that, the 
Justice Department expanded its indictment of him, filed a superseding indictment that brought the charges that are at issue in this letter. A series of Espionage Act charges not related to a hacking conspiracy, but for the act of soliciting, acquiring, retaining, and then publishing classified information, national security information. And then there was a second superseding indictment a little time after that, which expanded the hacking conspiracy charge with some additional allegations of a a broader over time effort to convince people to hack government networks and send information to WikiLeaks. So there's really two sets of allegations against him, only one of which have implications for journalism. Right. So to be clear, further to what you just said, the New York Times and the other folks who put this letter forward are asking for the journalism-related charges, the espionage-related charges to be dropped, not the hacking charges. That's right. The letter notably does not call on the U.S. government to drop the hacking-related charge. And so to say drop, if they're not calling for the case in its entirety to be dropped, just the ones that could create a precedent uh, that treats the act of soliciting and publishing information the government has treated as secret as a criminal act. Okay, so to be clear, Julian Assange did not himself uh, steal or hack uh, government servers in any way to get the information that he published on WikiLeaks. It was given to him, correct? So uh, the issue that here is the information that WikiLeaks was publishing in 2010 and 2011, archives of U.S. State Department cables and U.S. military documents related to the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and dossiers about Guantanamo Bay detainees. This set of large archives of of secret U.S. government documents, all of those were provided to WikiLeaks by Chelsea Manning, a former Army intelligence analyst who had downloaded them from CIPRANET, a classified computer network, from a forward operating base in Iraq where she was stationed and decided to send them to WikiLeaks. So this is... Not so about stuff publishing. that happened. So not only that, it, this is not about the emails, uh, the democratic emails that right. Russia hacked and provided and that WikiLeaks published in 2016. It's not about the Vault 7 CIA hacking tools from 2017. This is about the stuff that happened long ago, 2010, basically, the Chelsea Manning leaks. Can you explain, Charlie, if you could, why it would be that the conduct at the core of the matter here occurred in 2010 and you didn't get charges until 2018 and 2019? So the Obama administration wrestled with the question of whether to charge Assange with some kind of crime related to the Manning leaks. They certainly charged Manning, who was tried at a court-martial and sentenced to 35 years in prison, the longest sentence ever for a leaker in the United States in 2013, and then was uh, had most of that sentence commuted by Obama on his way out the door in 2017. But they did not charge Assange. despite looking very seriously at it. And a big part of the reason why they did not was that his actions in the Manning leak period were legally indistinguishable from the New York Times or other traditional news outlets that also— They would have to charge you, Charlie? I don't know if they would have to, but they— (laughs) But to be consistent— They would be crossing a Rubicon of saying these things that is part of ordinary traditional investigative journalism in the national security area, asking for classified information, publishing it, and then when it's decided that it's in the public interest to know these information, can and should be treated as a crime in the United States. And that has never happened. 
in the United States. There is no precedent for charging a publisher of information with a crime for that act. So it would be a profound First Amendment change. Right. So so then let me ask, did the Justice Department, when Trump was president, did they take some other course to get around this issue, or did they just not care? So then the, then the Trump administration comes along. Obviously, Assange himself, the interest of who he is and what he's been up to and uh, has evolved over time. The Russia has happened and so forth. The 2016 election has happened. Mike Pompeo's calling WikiLeaks a non-state intelligence service. And then they decide that they're going to file this charge, sealed charge at the time, on the, just on this narrow hacking charge. So it's still they're still sidestepping the journalism issues. And it appears to be that the reason is they were afraid he would leave the embassy and they wanted a basis for asking whatever country he popped up in to grab him if that's what happened and, and have, they needed some kind of charge on on file to be the basis of an international arrest warrant, well, they, which would then give them time to figure out what to do. And then they continue to deliberate and they decide they really do want to prosecute him. That's probably around the spring of 2018 when they go to the grand jury and get an indictment, which is also under seal. And it's really only after 2019 that was under the Jeff and the Jeff Sessions year in the Justice Department. It's really in 2019, but now Bill Barr is Attorney General. Uh, he's already been dragged out of the embassy. He's fighting extradition to the United States on this narrow hacking charge, and they decide to go for it and do the Espionage Act charges for these journalistic style actions of soliciting and obtaining information. So that is not an administration or an Attorney General who is particularly friendly to the press. Whether that played a role or not, we don't know, but it certainly lines up with that being a sort of change in attitude towards this extraordinary charge. What's your best understanding of the harm that was done either to particular people or to U.S. intelligence gathering capabilities based on what was published in WikiLeaks? Again, we have to you have to separate other things that WikiLeaks sure. I mean, I'm sorry. The, the things that were published in WikiLeaks that are at the core of the criminal matter we're discussing. Because the, the Vault 7 stuff that WikiLeaks publishes in 2017 may have had a, a big effect on U.S. intelligence gathering capabilities. I'm not aware of much serious allegation that the Manning leaks, none of which was classified above the merely secret level, no top secret stuff. You say merely secret like it's nothing, Charlie. Well, it's not top secret. It's not, <laughs> it's not. compartmented information, right? And it's, and it's uh, had anything to do with the intelligence gathering capabilities. There was a serious controversy when the cables became public in an unredacted form, and they had the names of people in dangerous places uh, who had helped the United States. You know, diplomats writing back to Washington, we're talking to so-and-so, a dissident leader, and he says this and that. Uh, and therefore putting those people's lives in danger. When Chelsea Manning was prosecuted, military prosecutors did not say anyone had actually been killed as a result of their identities being in those unredacted cables. But U.S. officials have said that the government expended a lot of resources identifying those people and getting them out of danger uh, in order to prevent that harm from happening. Right. So, so but for an expenditure of resources, maybe people would have come to harm. That's, that's the government's, that's the government's position. That's right. Is there, is there something about the fact that Chelsea Manning ultimately had much of her sentence commuted? Is there something about that that affects, you think, reasonably the propriety of the charge 
that lingers against Julian Assange or not. Affects the propriety in what respect? Well, uh, as a matter of fairness or equity, if part of what's going on here is that Chelsea Manning received, uh, ultimately, at the hands of Obama, lighter treatment than the court meted out based on taking certain kinds of information. So Julian Assange, I, I don't have a view, but should Julian Assange, who's one step removed from that, be treated more or less harshly? Or do the two things not matter or or don't connect with each other at all? Well, uh, two things. First of all, Manning still served a significant amount of time uh, from the period of her arrest to when she gets out in the middle of 2017, longer than anyone else ever in American history for the act of uh, providing information for public dissemination without authorization. So that's so not to make light of even even her commuted sentence was still a serious amount of, of prison time. But also, I don't think that they are in the same category. You know, Chelsea Manning is a was a government official with a security clearance who decided to make information public that she thought the public should know about. And in this set of sequences, Julian Assange is the publisher of information who received that data and made it available to the public. You know, one's a source, one's a publisher. So right. less culpable that, that, in your view. That it's, I just don't even see it's, it's an apples and oranges scenario. Yeah. Why now? Why write this letter? that the New York Times and, and multiple European news organizations put forward. Why now? And and are they aware, is the Times aware, that generally speaking, the Justice Department doesn't take its cues from the press? <laughs> I think they're not under much illusion about that. <laughs> okay. So again, because the New York Times newsroom where I work did not play a role in mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, I, I knew it was coming shortly before it came out because I was asked to write an article about it. So I don't have a great window into its origins. My impression is that it was, uh, you know, the the driving force was some of the European outlets, and then the Times decided to institutionally to join. Why now? On the small term, seems to be that we're at the anniversary of the the same day of of when the cables were started to be written about. Why now? In the large sense, why 2022 instead of 2021 or 2019? I don't know. Based on your reporting and your sources, do you think that there is any Sympathy for this argument, whether or not it's coming from the New York Times, my joke aside, that there is some thought in this particular Justice Department about changing course on Assange or not. So Merrick Garland does seem to be attuned to press freedoms issues. When he was an appeals court judge, wrote about the importance of the free flow of information in a democratic society and protecting the ability of the free press to do its job and perform its function in a representative democracy. And he has taken pretty significant steps to reform leak investigation rules in the Justice Department, very recently formalizing a policy in regulation, a policy he had instituted a year ago after it came out that the Barr-era Trump Justice Department had secretly gone after communications data of Washington Post, New York Times, and CNN reporters for leak investigations. He is, so these new, under his new rules, it is now investigators cannot use compulsory legal process, search warrants, court orders, et cetera, to get communications records of reporters or to force them to testify about their sources or seize their notes and so forth. Just flatly not allowed, not a balancing test. Uh, that's a serious reform. With some very limited exceptions. That's right. With some very limited, you know. If but a but much more off. narrow than they used to be. 
seriously. And and in most cases, no longer a you know balance of risks, which you know a decision maker can just always decide that the test is met in this case. And one of those exemptions, am I correct, is that the Espionage Act is no longer an exemption, such that that indicates maybe something in your mind about what Merrick Carlin thinks about this case? That's sort of more in the weeds of what I'm getting at, which is just yeah. if there's any attorney general who might be open to this, it might be Merrick Garland, that said, I have not seen or heard him say anything uh, that suggests they uh, are going to pull back unilaterally at this point on the Espionage Act charges. And I, it could be that they're waiting for the extradition process to happen and then they can try to negotiate a plea with him and maybe something would be dropped as part of that. Or maybe they're just not interested at all. And this is just, uh, you know, the press um, wishing something were not the case that is the case. Right. Well, but there are a substantial number of people in both parties, are there not, who believe that the case against Assange is meritorious and righteous and should go forward? Assange is not a popular person. Uh, the sort of national security conservatives clearly don't like him. People who in the who are Obama administration veterans didn't like him at the time because he was messing them up by publishing this stuff. Initially, in this Manning leak era, he was treated as an icon, I think, among elements of the left, the sort of anti-war left, and then transparency advocates across the libertarian to civil libertarian left to libertarian right liked him a lot. Because of his own morphing over time, and in particular his role in publishing the Democratic emails that Russia had hacked in its covert operation to help Trump win the 2016 election, a lot of his former admirers on the left now just want nothing to do with him and think he's a terrible person. And you, one of the things you see in, when you write about this case with all of its complexities is people look past the fact that this is not about the 2016 emails. This is not about, is he a journalist or not a journalist? What a status should be, what name should be or label should be affixed to him? Uh, or even at different points in time as his behavior changes, as he, it's, they just hate him and they want him to rot in jail. That you just, you know, you write anything on Twitter and you get a thousand emails like that. <laughs> and, and so the, the complexity of whether he's a good person or a bad person, whether you think he's a journalist or used to, was at one point or not, is sort of irrelevant to the question of whether the actions that were the Justice Department is treating as a crime here, the act of soliciting and publishing information the government has deemed secret can or should be treated as a crime in the United States for the first time, thereby establishing a precedent that those actions can be treated as crimes in the United States and the chilling effect at best that would have on investigative journalism going forward it's very easy to get lost in the shuffle. Should we read anything into the fact that the only American periodical news outlet that joined this letter was the New York Times, not the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or, or any others? Anything to read into that or not? No, I think these five outlets, Der Spiegel, Guardian, El Pais, Le Monde, and the New York Times were the ones on this letter because they were the original ones that were working with Weekly Leaks in 2010. Charlie Savage, I will tell you one thing that you probably don't know, and that is that you have my favorite last name of any reporter at the New York Times. I think a Washington correspondent, a national security reporter whose last name is Savage is just excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Preet. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. 
Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulay. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. <laughs>